All right, we are on the third week of Advent, which is the day we light the joy candle. So today's text is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Today, I, wrote, I lit the joy candle. And joy is something that's different than happiness. I know happiness generally is spoken of as the roller coaster that our emotions put us on. When things are good, I'm happy. When things are bad, I'm sad. <laughs> That was my daughter snorting, in case you're wondering <laughs> who's interrupting my flow. Uh, uh, joy is something that can't be stolen. Joy is, joy is something that can't be taken from us because it is unmoored, unattached to the ups and downs of life. Joy is the one thing that they can't take away from us, no matter what our circumstances are. This passage is about joy, the ecstatic announcement that Christ has come to us. We, when we talk about joy, how do you ask somebody about joy? Typically, when you ask, the question is, what brings you joy? It's interesting the way we choose to talk about joy as something that is brought to us, something that comes to us, something that arrives. If there is something that brings us joy, then there must be a bringer of joy, somebody who comes in and brings us joy. Joy comes to us. We can't manufacture joy by looking within. We can't find our hidden joy. It's joy that arrives to us through an announcement. We wait. We watch for joy. What actually, what actually does bring you joy? I'm curious. Think about it for a second. What, what brings you joy? I think if you are, um, you probably first thing that comes to mind are people, you know, little people, big people, friends, um, whatever comes to mind, usually at first is joy. There's other things. There's, uh, you know, often our hobbies are connected to joy. Um, some people find joy hiking, walking around um, in, the, in the wilderness, outside of the reach of our cell phones, looking around, the smells, the sights, the sounds, the feel of our body. Uh, all, you know, whenever I go hiking, I think, yep, I'm hiking right now. Uh, I... That's, 
Which is to say, I'm aware of my body in a way that it's more of a limitation than something to enjoy the world around us. Like, yep, yep, I wonder if there's another hill over on that corner. Yep, there's another hill around that corner. Uh, That's what I think about when I'm hiking. But pickleball is when I feel the Lord's joy (laughs) flooding me. When I play pickle, I feel God's joy. Uh, Whatever it is, joy, joy, whatever it is when you think about joy, it's, it's something you're present to, something you bear witness to, something that arrives uh, independent of you, uh, that you are attuned to and aware of. Joy is connected to being present to reality, present to those around us, present to nature, present to that pickleball flying over towards you. I'm actually, I don't, I I need to play more pickle, is is my point. I think that's my first application is pickle brings me joy, play some more pickle. Uh, So, but joy is ultimately the announcement that God has come to us. What, it's important, it's worth noting, I think one of the most interesting things about you is the answer to the question, what brings you joy? You know, there's, I could ask all kinds of questions, you could tell me about your education, where you grew up, that's all good, but if I, if you tell me what brings you joy, I feel like there's an intimacy there, there's a vulnerability, I can know you by what brings joy. So, there are two things in this passage that I want to draw attention to. Uh, as the announcement of joy, joy to the world. Joy has come into the world. Uh, Joy is wrapped in a manger, waiting for you to come bear witness to it. The first is the fact that the angels made their announcement at night. As we have been in Isaiah, uh, as in the weeks leading up to this, one of the motifs that's been made there that is also found in the book of John is the idea of the arrival of light into darkness that those who have lived in darkness have seen a great light. And here we are, here's some shepherds in darkness, attuned and aware of the dangers around them, protecting the sheep as good shepherds do, when suddenly the announcement comes to them. The, the darkness gives way to the light. Everything is illuminated. If there were any coyotes or wolves, they're like, this is our chance, let's go get that sheep. Angel, choir, will, I'm sure, scare away those, those predators. So the first thing is darkness giving way to light. Um, and the second thing I want to notice is whom the angels appear to and whom they made their announcement to. It's, it's shepherds. So there's, there's, there's a couple reasons why that is. I think the most immediate thing we learn about God through this announcement of his son coming into the world is that shepherds are so ordinary. They, it's kind of a, a lower-level job that, that people who didn't have family connections or inherited land, you may have noticed that, the, that we're told that the shepherds lived in the wilderness. So here are people that didn't receive inheritance of land to, to work, uh, haven't developed a, a skill like a smith um, or a woodworker, uh, and they are doing the, um, the, the job that's available to them. They're shepherds, and they're out there. And so the first thing I think we learn about these shepherds and why shepherds is precisely because they're ordinary. This is an inversion of the normal announcement of a king's birth. Usually when, like, Julius Caesar is born or one of the the Caesars is born, it's announced to the highborn. It's announced to the high priest, the the wealthy merchants, the king and the princes, and uh, those who are part of the nobility class has made this announcement too. So already you can tell by choosing shepherds 
that there is an inversion that's happening here already. The, the social order is beginning to be overturned. The social hierarchy is being inverted. But there's more. Second thing you notice is, and, um, that, that, is that we're told that the shepherds are living in the wilderness, that these are itinerant shepherds who don't have a stable home. They uh, live as a nomadic people with the, sh the sheep moving around to care for the flock uh, based on where did the rain fall and where is their grass and, and how can we move around to keep them healthy. And so immediately the reader, an informed reader, who understands the story that this falls into, sees in there, well, this is a reference to exile. These are people who aren't living in inhabiting land that's theirs. They're moving around. They're living in tents, just like the Israelites did when they escaped Pharaoh, just like as Israel does now, as a people that first gave way to the Assyrians and Babylonians and um, Persians, maybe the Seleucids. Does that sound right? Greeks, Romans? Like there's this chain of people that are conquering each other, inheriting Israel, but they're living in a land that is not their own. Um, that they are seeking stability, that, that, that Christ comes to a people who are in exile. And the, the good news comes to them there. And then finally, well, I'm going to hold that because I've gotten ahead of myself. Let me, just answer, let me just answer this question as an aside, just to build the drama to the third thing about that shepherds is how do you, when you, one of, the, one of the things that vexes me about this passage is if I were Luke and I were going around and wanting to create an accurate account for the gospel and was interviewing the shepherds, you know what question I would ask? What did the shepherds look, what did the angels look like? You know, because there's some ambiguity there. You know, sometimes, like Isaiah 6, you've got the, uh, these creatures covered in wings and eyes, and all these eyes to behold God's wonder and majesty, and the wings are like covering eyes, and they're beholding God's glory through the, and so you think, well, that would, that would definitely stand out, right? But then you've got other accounts of angelic visitors going to visit Abraham and talking to him, and, and they eat, and, and they don't seem to be all that different than humans, and you've got the Renaissance painters, um, the, you know, the Ninja Turtles when they're painting Michelangelo, Raphael, and they're, they're painting a, these angels, and, and they're, they're often little, little, little cute little cherubs with little, uh, little rosy cheeks and uh, discreet uh, flowing robes around them and things. And uh, it's, it's a little bit frustrating that they, they, there's no more of a physical description, but we know from the text that what was certain, these are angels, that the light, the chorus the sound, everything around them, and, and they, as shepherds, are terrified. So picture the scene. You've got, let's say there's three of them, and they are working in shifts, and so as sunset goes down, you've got person one who gets to sleep six hours and then is awake for the last watch, the three hours at the end. You've got somebody else that draws the short straw that does the middle watch, so sleep for three hours, awake guarding the sheep for three hours, and then sleep for three more hours. And then you get the one I would choose, which is I stay up first, and, and then the first three-hour watch, and then the next six, uh, the other shepherds can have their, their watches in there. And so probably the middle one is leaning on his staff, watching out for danger, trying to stay awake, listening to the snoring of the shepherds behind them when the angels appear with light, chorus, thunder, noise, the whole angel complete package of arrival detail. They, just get, they get the whole thing rolled out for them. They get choirs, lights, announcements, 
called by name. And, and I think about the emotional journey of these shepherds. You know, you start in terror. Like, what is happening right now? You, you, maybe you think, I'm hallucinating. I need to, I, that's why I don't like this middle shift. I keep getting that, you know, that straw. And, and I'm seeing things now. But then you're, you look behind you, and, you're, and your coworkers are there awake and alert. And you're kind of doing what any animal does when there's a threat, is they're kind of bundling together. You know, they're like, maybe they're grabbing their, they, their shepherds have two tools. They have the staff that kind of guides the sheep, kind of nudges them back on course. So, you naughty little sheep, get back there. And then you've got the rod, which is never used on sheep. It's a, it's a weapon to be used against predators. And so maybe they've grabbed their, their weapon to think, like, I don't know why I'm grabbing a weapon when there's an angelic being right here, but that's my instinct is just to huddle together and protect each other. And, and then they hear the announcement, don't worry, do not be afraid. I've got good news, good news for the whole world. Then you relax a little bit. Then a choir of angels comes. And I, it's something that's probably so unexpected and beautiful that their fear is gone and they just stand there and wonder. And then they, angels are gone just as quickly as they came. That, that's a night, right? That is, that is a wild night for them to go through that and experience all those things. Here's the part of my sermon where I'm supposed to talk about wise shepherds. So you can, you can deal on your own whether or not that a side of the angelic visitors was worth the digression or not. Um, but if you remember, uh, just to, to briefly uh, get you caught back up again, option, reason number one for, share, for shepherds, they're at the bottom of the social system that shows the inversion of the kingdom of God. Two, darkness light. These are cues we've been given by Isaiah of what to expect. Um, and then three, and this is, I think, the most important. Oh, and, and that people in exile, people living in the wilderness have seen the the shepherd to lead them back. But I think, it's, I think it's shepherds. I think God would say, I've sent, I, I've coming to, to my people as the great shepherd, as, as the shepherd of Israel. And maybe shepherds will recognize one of their own. Maybe a shepherd will see in the manger the great shepherd. And maybe it's appropriate that the first to come and bear witness to the, the coming Christ is shepherds uh, because he is the great shepherd uh, I'll never forget one time Tim Keller was preaching and he was talking about sheep. He was talking about how uh, like undignifying sheep are as, as animals. You know, they're, there's, Sheep are a lot of things. They're first and foremost delicious. I'm sorry. I do. <laughs> I, love, I love sheep. And that kind of breaks the metaphor down as far as like shepherd leading sheep to be a meal. But um, they're also wool and they're cute. They're cuddly. They're, they're all kinds of great things. But what sheep are not are smart. They're not, they don't possess common sense. And Keller, he says, you know, it would be different if God said, I am the rancher, you are my horses. So if you think about yourself, maybe you think of yourself as a, as a, as a, as a horse, as a stallion. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a wild horse. I can care for myself. There's such a thing as wild horses out there in the world. I've seen them. Um, they're, they're real. And so you've got this sense of, I can, as a mighty horse, um, I can live on my own. I can, I can survive on my own. Um, you know, horses have a nobility. Horses, the bond between a horse and rider is built on trust. And so there's a little bit of a dignifying there. You've, you, know, you know, God has certain my trust kind of thing first and foremost. Um, but sheep, sheep are really, they're, they're really dumb. There's, there's reports of sheep dying of thirst when there's water like 10 feet away that you can hear like the water. There's, there's reports of sheep dying because they were looking for something to eat away for, 
that the, the grass was behind them, and they ran out of grass going forward, and they thought, forward grass, more forward, more grass, and they just walk and wander through the wilderness when behind them was the grass. There's a, a sheep without care of a shepherd is, is a dead sheep. You know, a sheep that says, I'm going to go discover who I am out in the wilderness on my own. Like, I'm, I need to explore life out. Like, that, whatever American individualism inhabits a sheep will get that sheep killed by daylight. They're they, they unable to find food. They're unable to... Um, they're, I'm going to try this again. Next door, I was saying, like, the only defense a sheep has against a predator is its, its, its noise it makes, which I believe is called a bleat. Is that right? The bleat of sheep? No. Oh, we're going to just enjoy the silence of the lambs because I cannot bleat like the ship on them. So part of, what, um, part of what, why I think the shepherds were the ones who bore witness and heard the good news first is because Jesus came as our shepherd, that he came to us in the same way that a shepherd guides a sheep to streams, waters, pastures, protects a sheep from danger, passes through the valley of the shadow of death with protection, um, and then leads them to, to quiet good places, is that that's, that's what Jesus came to do. Ultimately, Jesus is, in his own words, the great shepherd. Um, and he goes on and says, you know, hired hands with a sheep, they'll, they'll flee in danger. They're not going to risk their life for a coin. But I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep, that when there is danger that comes at the sheep, the sheep gather behind the shepherd, and the shepherd stands to face the danger directly. Um, and Jesus says, I'm the shepherd. I'm, I'm the shepherd to, that has come to protect, to guide, to lead, to, to give wisdom to, to protect from danger, and even willing to die uh, for my sheep. And the, Coming as our shepherd, saying, if, if I come to die as a shepherd for a sheep, how much more will I give you? Why is... Why is Jesus' birth born witness to by shepherds? Well, the inverted hierarchy, the light and the darkness, the reality of that they are in exile living in a land that's not theirs and, and that Christ has come to proclaim the, the, the end of exile um, and that he has come as the great shepherd. And so what I thought I would do is, is by way of closing, before we go into our, um, to the table, into our um, last worship set, I want to read Psalm 23. And I, wanna, I want you to hear it as, it was written, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, to, to, to make this personal. And so because this is such a familiar passage to us, uh, I'm going to read from uh, Eugene Peterson's um, version, the, the message version to, to unsettle, to, to maybe provoke some, some different ways to think about this. But I encourage you just to think about the areas of your life where you're hungry, you're thirsty, um, as the, the passage references passing through the valley of the shadow of doubt, if you feel that passing through there, wherever it is in your life right now, wherever you need to be shepherded and cared for, um, go ahead and think about those places as I close by reading um, Psalm 23. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner 
right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. What brings joy to you? What brings joy to the world? Who is it that knows how to lead us to the rest and nourishment our souls need? Who knows the way that passes through the valley of the shadow of death into a banquet that leads us through dark seasons while we lean and trust on him as we pass through the valley of death? When you hear these words, does something stir in you? Some desire for the rest and nourishment that only God can provide. Jesus doesn't just show us the way through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the way through that. So as he said, may you learn from him, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and he will provide rest for your souls. And as you come to the table this morning and return to your seats, take the time we have as Ian plays uh, a number for us um, to reflect on 23 and, and just pause at each line as, as the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, just to think, what do I need? I have everything that I need from his hand, uh, to think through the times of comfort, to think, think through passing through the valley of the shadow, to imagine in the end vindication of sitting at the table of seeing the enemies of God put in their place and reminding ourselves um, that wherever our life needs healing, rest, nourishment, that God is eager to provide those as our shepherd. And as you return, as you receive nourishment at the table this morning, may you find his yoke easy, his burden light, as you find rest and joy for your soul. Let's pray. Father, as we hear the words David wrote, we recognize that we are hungry, thirsty, weary, fearful, because we need a shepherd. And as we consider all the different seasons of life that we find in Psalm 23, of, of times and seasons of rest and joy and goodness and, and plenty, passing through the valley of death and fear and having death intersect with our lives, leading into the ultimate promise of fulfillment uh, in your son. I pray that you bring us hope and nourish us this Advent season as we anticipate your coming again. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.